Welcome to episode 38 of the Accessibility Craft Podcast, where we explore the art of creating accessible websites while trying out interesting craft beverages. This podcast is brought to you by the team at Equalize Digital, a WordPress accessibility company and the proud creators of the Accessibility Checker plugin. In this episode, we discuss automated accessibility reporting and how it can impact the customer experience for web hosts, digital agencies, and website maintenance providers. And we go over the many ways in which organizations can benefit from embracing and advocating for accessibility best practices. For show notes and a full transcript, go to accessibilitycraft.com slash 038. And now, on to the show. Hey, everybody. It's Amber, and I'm here with Chris. Hello, everybody. And Steve. Hello, everyone. And we are going to be chatting quite a bit but to be honest i want to start with the beverage i'm excited about this for a couple of reasons chris i'll let you introduce it but we also not too long ago just got off a three-hour meeting and i am really thirsty so tell us what we're (laughs) drinking so i can have a sip (laughs) all right well we are uh celebrating fall in true form today with wild bill's pumpkin spice soda we've had something from wild bill's on the podcast before we tried the root beer um this time we are trying a, they did a limited run of a pumpkin spice flavored soda. So just like the previous one we tried, this is going to be sweetened with sugar. Uh, very cool veteran owned uh, artisanal soda company. Um, and I'm I'm just really excited to try this one and get our pumpkin spice on today. Yeah, so I love pumpkin spice flavored things, except for I hate coffee. So everyone gets all excited when pumpkin spice shows up at Starbucks, and I'm like, yeah. So I'm excited about this. Yeah. I, I will say that uh, there might be a color contrast issue with this can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Describe the can. It's it's like a burnt, like, brown, right? Like yeah, a burnt, reddish yeah, burnt, burnt brown. But the lettering is like... Like a an, an an orange, like a dirty orange, and uh, <laughs> when you get to the small type, it's almost it it's I I can't read it with my eyes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, and it's it, cursive on top of it. Yeah, um, yeah. So it says, I think I can if I put it really close. <laughs> Spice things up with the perfect balance of cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, cloves, and allspice. The classic fall blend is irresistibly delicious and by no means basic. Took me a second <laughs> to get that word. Yeah, it is. It definitely needs a color contrast improvement, but it is a cute can. They're tall and skinny. Um, mm-hmm. 12 ounces. So they look more unique than like a typical soda can. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited. And as I said, we've been talking a lot. So I'm literally opening it right now. <laughs> Here we go. Pure cane sugar, low sodium, caffeine-free, and gluten-free. I mean, isn't all soda gluten-free? Yeah, yeah. Is there soda with wheat in it? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) It's like the weird things. Like, they put, like, that no R, R, what is it, RBSC or something that they put on the milk. But actually, no milk is allowed to have that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it's like this weird thing like it's not really a differentiator but so this is kind of this is kind of unusual i don't know if mine this is, is fizzing up yeah mine mine's overflowing like out the top out of the top mine too it's like super carbonated yeah yeah mm-hmm. 
I can't even yeah, hold it. I'm going to have to like lean down and sip it right from the can. I wanted to <laughs> smell it first, but I'm worried. I think I have to sip it. But like, I don't get a. Do you get like a pumpkin spice smell off this? Because I don't. I, I don't get any smell. Yeah, I smell. I smell a little bit of vanilla. Um, while y'all taste, I've taken a couple of sips of this. Um, my the initial thing that jumps to mind for me is like it kind of tastes like a cream soda. Yeah. Um, like I get, I get like the vanilla, but there is, there is like this little bit of undertone of like cinnamon, maybe a little nutmeg. I'm not getting the allspice or the clove as much in what I'm tasting. Well, okay. It know. is really carbonated, but not in like a biting way. And I think I remember this about their root beer. Like it's a soft carbonation, but it's really bubbly. Like yeah. when I put it in my mouth. I feel it like the, you know how it was coming out of the can? Yeah, yeah. I feel it like bubbling like that in my mouth. Not in an unpleasant, like sharp mm-hmm. way. It's soft. <laughs> That's like a weird thing to say, but. Yeah, I don't know. Did anyone eat Pop Rocks when they were a kid? I'm yeah, probably yeah. dating myself with that candy. Kind of yeah. gives me like a Pop Rock vibe. Like, yeah, th- it's very. And they like, said if you ate Pop Rocks and like Coke, it would kill you or something. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then we all did it, and it didn't kill us. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if I get pumpkin spice. I I'm a little sad. I wanted it's, it to be spicier. Yeah, I agree with Chris. It's very creamy, like a like a like like a very smooth. But I'm not getting a pumpkin vibe too much. But it's good. I mean, it. Hmm. It tastes good, but I don't think it tastes like fall. Sorry, yeah. Wild Bills. <laughs> like yeah. I, I would have liked. There's a nothing little more like pumpkin pie about it. Clove forward flavor. Um, I'm mostly getting like kind of a a vanilla flavor, which is interesting because I'm, I'm trying to find the ingredients. Yeah, like a, like a Here's, sweet like a well, sugar, sugary vanilla. Yeah. Here's why. Yeah. While they do use pure cane sugar, which is better than high fructose corn syrup, they just use natural flavor. <laughs> Quote, natural flavor. Who knows what that is, right? Yeah, yeah. But they don't list any actual spices in the ingredients. Oh, I see. And it's got yellow Yeah, there's six, no like so if you are normally spice in extracts in it. Yeah, there's no like, yeah, like clove oil. Or something like that. Like, there's none of that. That's probably why the flavor is not there. It's not strong enough. And as I was about to say, if you are a voider of food coloring, it has yellow number six. So maybe don't. Oh, what's that one do? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's making it kind of like an orangish color. I know. I should have gotten a cup. It is actually kind of orange. Yeah. Caramel orange. Yeah. Yeah. Not like orange soda orange, but like kind of. Yeah. brown Brownish. Yeah. So it's tasty, but it's disappointing. That's what I'm going to give it. I was excited. I was hoping it would have more of a fall pumpkin pie kind of flavor for it, and I don't get any of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Sorry, Wild Bills, but uh, just didn't quite live up to our hopes and dreams for what a pumpkin spice soda could be. But it's definitely not bad either. So, I'll, I'll be finishing this can. Oh, yeah, I'm sure I will drink it, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So on on the note of disappointing people, 
Our topic Ooh, today. Good segue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our topic today is something that Chris suggested, and and maybe you can explain it a little more eloquently than I can. But we've had some conversations with people about our accessibility checker plugin and some concerns they have about using it because it surfaces problems in their work to their clients or their customers, and they don't want their clients or customers to feel disappointed and or angry. (laughs) Is that sort of summarize? Yeah, so the the working title for this is Accessibility Reporting and the Client Experience, right? And so the client experience here, to be clear, are not our clients. It's the experience of the clients of the people who use our tool. What we're talking about here are WordPress hosts, agencies, maintenance companies, a lot of whom I speak to pretty often. They're all lovely people. They care about accessibility. They want to do the right thing. They are also really mindful of what the experience of their customers is going to be. They want it to be positive. They want it to be low stress so that those people stick around. So what I've, what I kind of want to talk about today is something that comes up in my conversations, which is they're evaluating a tool. Uh, it could be accessibility checker, it could be something else, which uh, at its most, like I'm being really reductive here, but this is a tool that points out problems in other people's work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it surfaces those problems in a way that is highly visible. It is right inside the dashboard where the user is. Well, let's so be clear. There's... Hold on, back up for for anyone who's not used our plugin. It surfaces problems to people who have administrator and backend access to the website. It doesn't yeah. put any problems surfaced publicly. They're not like in an API that could be accessed. Um, it's it's not like to users of the website. Right. I just it's want to make that cap- clear for capital, people who haven't seen our Capital plugin. U, capital U users, people who are managing the website. Or owning they're in the, the website. Yeah. Or owning it. Um, they, they're going to see this. And one thing that often comes up are these questions of, uh, is your tool going to make me look bad? Is this tool, is this tool going to stress out my customers every time they go in and edit something? Um, you know, it, am I going to get a bunch of extra support requests because this tool is here? Um, and they're going to mistakenly blame me, the web host, right? For accessibility problems on their website, which I maybe didn't have anything to do with other than I host it. Uh, and so these are the kinds of questions that I get in some of the conversations that I have. And um, where I'd love to start is just to talk a little bit about why do we think people get worried about these things and what sorts of scenarios do we think kind of play out in their heads if you we're know, putting on our empathy hats. <laughs> you know what's interesting about that more support requests is different customers of ours people who might purchase the plugin to put on sites have different responses to that. A hosting company wants probably as few support requests as they possibly can because it's a cost center for them, right? They have to pay Mm -hmm. someone to answer questions. An agency probably would see that as a boon because they're probably charging their customers hourly to provide support. And so they might be like, Oh, if the plugin flags something in a in another plugin, like the website was fine, then a plugin 
that was on the website gets updated, that adds accessibility problems, accessibility checker finds it, my customer's now going to contact me and ask for help that I get to charge them for. So like that's a really interesting like thing is there's different user groups that probably have different responses to that. Yeah, and, and I, I, I would question what the alternative is, right? The alternative to seeing those issues. And the alternative is turning a blind eye to accessibility, right? I, yeah, I, I think it's, a fr it's accessibility to a lot of developers and, and content creators. It's, it's still a friction point, right? We don't necessarily uh, have tools that are one-click fixes. Now, some, some may claim that that's possible, but uh, you know we don't advocate for that, right? And, well, uh, and I mean, we've, we even spoke earlier about this, how in the WordPress project itself, there are some people who feel like accessibility, all it does is slow down the de their dev workflow. Right. And it frustrates them. And, you know, and I can speak to that from a development standpoint, right? Uh, you know, being somebody that has gone through the, uh, you know, learning how to code accessibly and helping bring other developers up to code accessibly, right? And yes, there's a there's a learning curve, but after a while, that learning curve goes away and it starts to pay off. And you don't know how to code it without making it accessible, right? Once you once you once you go through the steps to figure out how to make an accessible modal, right? And and making an accessible modal uh, is not all that difficult. You got to get a few aria labels. You got to you know you got to trap the focus on on the modal, right? Um, but once you've done it once or twice, right, it's just something that gets ingrained in you. This is how you make a modal. It's not how do you make an accessible modal. This is how you make a modal, right? Because an mm -hmm. accessible modal really is the only right way to make a modal. So, so yeah, there's there's some developers may look at it as something that impedes their progress, that slows them down, right? And yes, it will for a time until you learn how to do it that way. And if you do it that way and you do it first, it it it, it you're not going to have that technical all this accessible inaccessible code technical debt down the line that is then going to have to be fixed. Because let's face it, it's going to have to be fixed, right? Like yeah. at some at some point in time. The well, I mean, in law, the laws are coming. There is a requirement by June 2025 in Europe yeah. that websites and we're not just talking government websites like the laws are, are pretty strong on government websites but this law in Europe is on for-profit business websites too um so yeah I mean it's coming those changes have to be made I, I mean yeah what's the alternative the alternative is the problems are there and we just pretend they're not <laughs> yeah and, and then you right? get you get you know the site owner gets sued and they've they've not shown any uh, measured steps to remediate or to acknowledge their accessibility problems. You know, we spoke about in a previous episode about your accessibility statement, and and what that does is that allows you to acknowledge the inaccessible parts of your website, and to show that you're working and making effort to to solve those. So the accessibility checker plugin, if you put it on your website it actually will show that you're taking an effort to be accessible to some degree. Where I think a lot of people really get in trouble is when they've avoided any steps or measures to be accessible, right? And they don't have anything yeah. that can track that, which um, 
I don't know if we'll have it out yet when this comes out, but I know we're working on an add-on for accessibility checker that will store history because right now it only shows current points in time and people have been like screenshotting and stuff to maintain a history, but we're going to build that into the plugin so you don't have to do the extra work of screenshotting. Um, so I think you're right. I, so stepping back a little bit to your question, Chris, about like putting ourselves in those shoes, like I think a good example of this, if I were going to walk through like one example is... Um, so GoDaddy, and we did on the WordPress accessibility meetup, Alex Stein and I did an, uh, an audit for them. They stepped up and asked us to audit their theme that is on all of their one-click installs. Um, and that was the first time I had like spun up a GoDaddy website. Like I went and bought one because I actually was like, maybe I'm going to put my own website here because I need to migrate it. And, and what they have done really well in this is that I bought the hosting plan I and and then it's like you want to it was through WordPress so I knew it WordPress so it's like click a button it created the site with their starter theme it even put in like some content I, I think I had templates or something I could do some it put in content it was probably one of the most seamless spin up a website start editing it so it sort of feels like a Squarespace <laughs> experience yeah. that I've seen in WordPress, which I was very impressed with. And I, I know there's probably other hosts that have this too beyond GoDaddy. I just don't explore hosting a lot. Um, but what I think from their standpoint is they're working really hard to have this easy onboarding for people who don't know anything, mm. right? Like not people like us who build custom WordPress websites all the time. And so then there's this overhead that they probably need to get past, which is that their accessibility problems in their theme and maybe their core plugin or something or a couple of core plugins that they always install on these. So if ours is there, it spins up, somebody gets a brand new website with only demo content, like they haven't edited anything, and here's a report telling them why it sucks, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right? And so I could see from, from a hosting perspective like they would be like, why'd you just give me a bad website or a broken website? Yeah. I don't want the broken website. I want the website that works <laughs> for everyone, right? Um, so my response to those people is, well, we know that websites have to be accessible, that there are laws that are increasingly requiring this around the world. Um, and, and, and the goal of a website is to get, let's be real, it's to make money. Like yeah. most people, unless, except for your personal blog, you're sharing pictures of your kids with your parents and five people go there a month and it's like your mom and your grandma. Like other than that, websites are to make money. And you want to make money or you will make more money if everyone can yeah. engage with your website. Um, and so that's why accessibility matters regardless of the laws. But I think um, like there's this sort of overhead that needs to happen with these companies like they need to assess their starters and mm -hmm. and really figure out like what are the problems because if if you fix them if they fix everything in the starter then accessibility checker would install and it would be all green yeah and it so would be 100 percent accessible <laughs> until the customer started adding bad things <laughs> yeah 100 percent past checks right yeah yeah, yeah i mean so so that leads me to a follow up. So so like if we're if we're kind of putting ourselves in their shoes, like trying to play out these scenarios in our head, do we think that like people are 
they're they're worried that like someone's going to get to get angry potentially like if we're in the hosting side like are they getting are they worried that they're going to get angry or write them a bad review or complain to support like those kinds of scenarios are kind of what they're what's playing over in their heads is that what they're telling you the hosting companies um i mean that's that's um i I, the one i've heard the most is support um in my conversations like they're worried about people reaching out to support i'm just you know uh, i'm curious what you all think if there are like other things beyond what they've what i what i shared there I mean, I, th- I think there's definitely a possibility, yeah, of more support if people don't understand it. That's on us, you know, like how can we add mm-hmm. more education into our plugin or um, provide links out to education resources on our website? I mean, it's a big reason why we run the meetup because yeah. the reality is, is that having a tool that points out accessibility problems does nothing if no one knows how to fix those problems, <laughs> right? Like everything will stay inaccessible. Um, I don't. I don't yeah. know about, and maybe there is some anger, like I was saying, if I spun up that website and it dumped me in and then I saw a report right there in the editor that's like, there's 10 bad things on this page. I would be like, well, why'd you give me the bad website? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So go ahead, Steve. Well, I mean, I think, I think when, you know, when you've seen people get angry, uh, you know, about seeing those issues. Um, I mean, I've seen it on the development side, you know, like with clients, with clients. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, agent, you know, with, you know, if we have a client that we're doing, you know, audits and remediation on, and then they're actively developing in tandem with those audits and remediation and the accessibility checker is identifying issues with code that they're, they're generating like in real time, it, and then we're auditing and providing feedback. It creates like this feedback loop of like they're they're generating code, and then we audit, and th- there's these issues, and there becomes kind of this uh, we're impeding in in another development company's development process. Right now, we're hired to do this, but uh, it 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 I've seen a little bit of like uh, you know kind of a a reaction to the plugin like maybe I don't know what the right word to say is, but almost like uh, it almost feels like, Oh, we shouldn't be using this plugin. Right. Like, you know, like it's like, it's getting in the way of us, you know, being uh, productive. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's some companies out there that churn and burn. I know I, I met someone and, and it's not to say this particular person does this, but I met someone at Cabo press and I was impressed. Um, Cabo press is a business conference. And I think she told me they build like, 100 websites a month or or wow. more than 100 and I was just like wow first of all I was impressed because I was like I don't even know how like even when we were doing small template sites we could never get them out so I cool like this person is super systematized but like if your starter is accessible and all that stuff then it would be fine you could build 100 accessible websites a month but if it's not like it's it might slow down your process um you know, mm-hmm. and and then you have to figure out like how how is that working? Right. Um, I do think on the like anger side, I I don't know as much on hosting, but I have definitely seen this. Like one that comes to mind is a a large nonprofit in California, 
that we got hired by the nonprofit, not the agency building the website. So sometimes we get hired by the agency building the website, which is great. Sometimes we get hired by the organization and there's a little more friction there. Mm. But we got hired by the organization to do the audit on a brand new website before it launched. And the agency um, had promised an accessible website and the organization is very large. They're in California, so they really have to be accessible um, because there's extra laws in California. Yeah. And the website was built with Elementor Hello and like the element, the Hello theme and like a whole bunch of stuff. And it just like, like nothing, like there were so many problems everywhere. And, and the organization, the nonprofit, they weren't mad at us, but they were very angry at their developer. Right. And they were thinking, oh, this is, this is going to launch not too long after, like we'll bring them in and there'll just be some extra fixes, but they won't be a lot. But it's like, here's a massive list. Yeah. Right. Because it was clear that that dev had promised accessibility without actually knowing accessibility and had done literally nothing. Um, and so I do see how um, it could cause a problem. Well, it could cause a if problem you've, if you've set that expectation and then yes. don't deliver on it. So is right. the problem really accessibility in that instance or is the problem a failure to deliver on expectations that you've set? Yeah, so I, I, I think that's a good point, Chris, because I've had this conversation with a couple of people um, in our Facebook group and um, at like office hours for accessibility checker, which we do if you're at certain plan tiers, you can show up and we just chat, which is fun. Um, but we've talked to agencies that are like, I was never aware of accessibility and I've built all these websites and now I want to roll it out and I want to start including it in the care plan. And they're just trying to figure out what the language is. And mm -hmm. I do think that there is a way to go to your clients and say, this is a thing that, you know, when we built your website, it wasn't as big of a deal. Like, it's fine if you say that, right? Like, it, it yeah. wasn't as big of a deal. It wasn't an industry standard. It's becoming an industry standard. Hey, there's a law coming up that's going to impact you. And because I care about you, I want to tell you about it. And here the here's a solution that I can offer. And I think if you frame it that way, then when you install Accessibility Checker and the client logs in their back end, they see all the reports, they're not suddenly surprised, right? Yeah. And and you've then showed them that you're on their side and you're thinking about them. And even though this website launched a year, two years ago, you're still trying to make sure they get the most out of it and it's and it, you know, does what it needs to do. Like I think there are ways to sell that that doesn't just make it sound like your work sucks and that will make the client angry. Like, I think you could sell that in a way that makes the client like happy because they're, they realize that you're like trying to be like, think about them. Yeah. And, and so, and that, that's an interesting like counter argument to those fears. Right. And if we're, if we're looking at the driving reason behind some of the fears that I hear from these larger organizations, maybe it, maybe those, maybe there's something deeper which is maybe they just don't know how to talk about this stuff mm -hmm. with their customers yeah, and how to pre-frame what they're about to see and help them understand at a very high level, not teaching them accessibility, but just at a very high level, what this is, why it's here and what to do. Right. Um, 
Yeah, there's a there's a education component to it, right? Like if you install the accessibility checker and you know, say the site maintainer, right? And uh, and the accessibility checker will automate what can be automated as far as the check and what it's checking, but it's still going to require to to get, you know, to get turn everything green, right? Some things will still take human evaluation. And that requires the user of that plugin to, you know, look at it, click on the the information bubble, read the summary, jump over to our docs, read through our docs to kind of know whether or not they can ignore that issue or that it's an it's an actual issue. So and, you know, that's for like, you know, for small agencies, that's another thing that they have to tack on. Right. Like but like I said before, I think it's. There's an initial cost to the education. There's an initial cost to the, the the dev skills education. But once you get past that, it starts to pay off mm-hmm. later, mm-hmm. later on. Yeah, I know we've talked to some universities about rolling it out, even just the free version on all of their student intranets yeah. or their faculty intranets. Because um, some of these universities have multi-sites, WordPress multi-sites, where they might have 500, 1,000, even, you know, 5,000 yeah, or they, more sites that aren't coming from a marketing department. Well, they allow the faculty and students to generate their own, to roll, mm-hmm. up, roll up their own installs, yeah. Yeah, and, and the thing there is, like, they, you know, they want to put it on. Um, because those sites, if they're on an official .edu, they still can be get in trouble for that. I mean, it's less likely than, you know, their admissions website, but still it's something, you know, they want to make sure that the content there is accessible. And, um, and so really it's about like creating some like whole campus wide, or if you're a company that's doing this for all your brands, like communication and maybe even some short videos, which is something we're trying to get better about. And we have some plans in the works for creating like short, like here's how you use this, or this is what you're seeing. What does this mean? Um, But I think if you have more communication around it, when you roll it out, then that really helps. Yeah. I want to just list out some, some common reactions that I see from like, not like, very large customers, right, who are more concerned about the experience of their customers, but like the people who would be working with these agencies and hosts, once they actually start to understand what their overall accessibility position is, and we've worked with these organizations, we talk to them, the worst I've like the, the worst reaction I've ever seen is what I would just categorically call like denial, like, oh, it's not a big deal. Uh, Our customers don't have disabilities, you know. Well, I'm not colorblind, so we don't need to care about red-green. You know, like um, those types of things is probably the worst reaction I see. But what I see more often, and uh, I want to give you all an opportunity to talk here too, but like probably the one I see the most often is like just that like this is a problem, I have to fix it, right? Mm -hmm. Tell Tell me how, tell me how much, tell me how long. Let's get this fixed. Right. Um, most decision makers in businesses, you know, if they're even if they're de- if, whether they're deeply involved in their online presence or they're three or four steps back, if there's a problem, they are going to care most about fixing the problem. They're not going to care as much about who caused the problem, when the problem came up, whose quote fault it is. Like 
they want the problem fixed. And if you can kind of align yourself with that motivation as an agency, as a hosting company, given all the other kind of tailwinds we're seeing for accessibility right now in terms of legal enforcement and other and just general industry trends, like you're going to win in the next three to five years. Yeah, it's going to be I, a huge win. I think there is. I, I, I will. I'll. I'll say I definitely see and I've seen that even with some of our bigger clients in like agency days when, you know, something broke. I think they did kind of want to know what caused it and whose fault it was. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think it's true to say the clients never care whose fault it is. But I I don't think that they're always doing it because they want to fire you. I think no. sometimes they want to know what what caused the problem or who was the person on the team that you know, coded the thing that took down all of AWS, right? <laughs> or whatever. Not our team. We didn't do that. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be cool. That would mean we had a lot of power if we did that, but we did not. But like, like I think sometimes it's more of like, we want to understand what happens so we just know how to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Right. right. Prevention. Prevention, mm -hmm. which dovetails in with that drive to get the problem fixed. It's like, I don't want to just fix it now. I want to fix it forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, you know, so I think that's that's a big thing. And for agencies especially, hosting companies, I think this is a different ball game because of the kind of relationship they have with their customers. But for agencies, there is a lot of opportunity here mm -hmm. to beyond like your customers see problems and they want you to make the red thing green, <laughs> right? <laughs> They're like, fix it. But like you could also be having monthly consulting phone calls with them that you charge them for an hour of your time and literally you say okay here are the the top you know five things that we saw your content team added in the last month that caused a problem we went in and fixed them here is how we fixed it like there are some clients especially when you get into some of the the bigger space. I know there's a lot of small businesses that literally do nothing on their website and the agency does everything for them. But when you get working in these mid mid and large size businesses, they usually have like a marketing team or they have um, content writers, sometimes multiple, and they want training and they appreciate that. Um, like being taught like, oh, this is how you make a real list in WordPress and not just put little dashes, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like. Like those, those kinds of things. And I think there's an opportunity because one of the things that I know we learned a lot in our agency days was that if you get clients to have regular monthly, bi-weekly or weekly phone calls with you, they will spend more money. Yeah. It's the people you never talk to that never go up and that risk going away. The people yeah. who get on the phone with you like and you're like teaching them and like showing them things and providing value like they're going to be like, oh, OK, how do I get more of this? Yeah. So in regards to reactions that people have had to this, uh, you know, and, and I think it, it underscores some of, you know, some of the stuff we do with awareness around accessibility and like uh, I don't think it's always like, you know, like denial sometimes it's just a lack of awareness like at, a, at WordCamp US we were running many audits like 15 minute 
accessibility audits, people would schedule with us. And um, I had just finished one up, and I was speaking at, at a table with a couple of gentlemen that run a small agency in Europe. And uh, we were just talking, and accessibility came up, and they just and they and they and they just I think the develop I think the guy that there was two guys, one was a developer, and he kind of just dismissed it. Oh, that's something that we handle in development. And I'm like, okay. And then I was like, Are, you know, in Europe, it's going to become law here, you know, and soon, right? And uh, I was like, so I offered to do an audit of of one of their websites right there, unannounced, and they got real nervous and real tense, and <laughs> and uh, because they were claiming, you know, yeah, yeah, it's accessible, and because uh, so our said, developers do it, that's what he said. So yeah. they didn't need to have any auditing or any content training because it's right. just a dev thing. Yeah, and and uh, so he just dismissed it. And, and I was like, well, let's audit it. Let's audit the site. And we audited like an arts website, right, that's publicly funded. And uh, and we found some issues. Now, I will say overall their accessibility wasn't that bad. I mean, like it was pretty good, but I did find issues. And, and, and you could see the light bulb kind of go off. Oh, wait, that, you know, Okay, I need to be aware of some things that I was kind of just dismissing, right? And uh, so I think sometimes the denial comes from a place of, you know, of what what's the right word? Like uneducation, you know, or like unawareness, yeah, yeah. unawareness. And and sometimes sometimes that's the hardest thing in this whole accessibility thing is is getting people's mindset and having that paradigm sh- shift that the stuff is a necessity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, or just even knowing that it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. Some people just don't even know. So in our time, like managing these types of relationships with people, um, whether they're kind of just like Steve was just describing, like they don't they all they know almost nothing about accessibility other than that. It's a word in the English language. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, or at other times as veterans, I, I think what I want to talk about next is like what we really think they care about and what they want the most from their agency or host or maintenance company or some of these big people where these types of people are their customers. And I'm thinking about this in the context of there's like the managers and then there's the implementers who are both interacting with these um, distinct audiences. So um, what do we think, like if I'm a manager at an agency or a manager at an e-commerce website, like what do I really want from my my host or my agency or my maintenance company? Like what is most important to me? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, well, uptime, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. what do you want yeah. from your so host? Stability, predictability, stability. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Predictability, uh, you want your stuff to work well, right? So you want it to be fast. You want it to move. Like, this is where it gets a little weird. Like, hosts have nothing to do with the user journey on the website, but agencies sure do. And you care a lot about, like, does your website convert? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think those are probably the top things that a website owner is is looking for. And, and then probably the other thing is just, like, they don't want to get in trouble for their website. Right. Like that's where privacy policies and cookie notices and accessibility can really come in, right? Like, 
Yeah, I think as with much- ho- I think with host, like things are changing with host, right? Like it used to be, you go to a host because you're looking for a server to put a website on, right? And you just needed your FTP or SSH access, and you would do it all, right? As a developer, hosts are becoming uh, one-click installs, like Amber described, right? Like they're becoming, they're going to recommend the best product for what you're trying to achieve. And I think what people, what, what, what people are going to want from that is trust that whatever that they're offering to them is going to benefit their company, not harm it. And mm-hmm. if and if if the base theme that you know X, XYZ hosting company is using has a lot of accessibility issues in it, and five percent of their users or ten percent of their users use that, and their user base is millions, right? Like. You're generating a lot of inaccessible websites, so I think I think there should be a certain level of trust that a user has when they go to to these hosts and do these one-click installs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's the that's kind of the the initial hump that the, that these providers need to get over is they need to make sure that their baseline offering that's being spun up is not having issues flagged in at least automated testing tools. Ideally, they're also having them user tested as well. Yeah. But, um, so if you're a hosting yeah, company, I, we can help you with that. Yeah. Well, and I, <laughs> I, I mean, I'll add Sorry on Sorry, guys. That. Sales bit. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll add on to that, Amber. In our own internal dev processes, we've gotten to the point where where we've audited and used enough plugins to where we have certain plugins that we've we've basically approved for development, right? We use X, we use XYZ block plugin because it's accessible and we've tested it and it can be used. And I think that uh, hosting companies need to do the same thing. They need to be auditing and approving certain uh, software packages that can be used on their websites. And yeah, Amber's right. You can outsource that auditing to companies like ours um, but there should be some process in place to evaluate those those tools before releasing them to the masses. I mean, WordPress is 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 a duplication machine. Like you create a theme or a plugin, it could be duplicated millions of times very easily, and you're generating like we our mission is to create a more accessible web, right? Not a least <laughs> a, a less accessible web. Now mm-hmm. there's another side to this, and it's the developer's responsibility behind creating accessible products in the first place. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think, you know, actually this is really interesting because, you know, every once in a while there are conversations about market, having plugin marketplaces beyond wordpress.org. Yeah. Um, like wordpress.com, they actually duplicated the, the wordpress.org plugin marketplace on wordpress.com what could have been interesting and and i see like hosts potentially like hosts do have i know like we're in wp engine solution gallery right like they're yeah. they're different and we're in a couple of other hosts as recommended partners um Convesio and some other ones and and thinking about like the plugin directories beyond wordpress.org like i think this is an opportunity that hosts have because they could potentially do that and they could limit, like, what if WordPress.com didn't just show every WordPress.org plugin on WordPress.com? 
What if they went and they said, okay, well, there are 25 table of contents plugins. This is the one that works the best. And therefore it is our recommended solution for wordpress.com. Now you can still go to wordpress.org and download any one you want and install it, right? But if you go to our plugin directory, this yeah. is the one you're going to see if you search table of contents plugin. Um, like, like if we're thinking about like how do we provide a really good user experience to a hosting customer, the average website owner does not want to have to choose from 25 plugins that supposedly do the same thing. Right, right. Like, like they want to just be told this is the best one. Yeah, and typically what's the, I mean, the metric that we typically use is install count, right? And uh, yeah, we're historically. Not, and that's like not a great metric. No, if, no. If you really think about it. No. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's really not from an accessibility standpoint. I mean, I would sure, God, I would love it if we could just identify, even if it was like five or 10 really obvious things that could be scanned in the code and just scan all wordpress.org plugins and put labels on them. <laughs> if like like for real. Yeah. Just put yeah. a w- warning. This includes empty buttons. Yeah. But like like something obvious like that. I mean, like could- warning this plugin has accessibility problems. That mm. would sure motivate it wouldn't fix everything. It would not guarantee an accessible plugin. But it might remove all the empty buttons from the plugins that have developers who are actively maintaining them, mm. right? Like things like that. Yeah, I mean it's true because at at a certain at a certain point, right? It, there's there's the bottom up of developers um, building things more accessibly, content creators making their content more accessible, etc. But then there's like the top down of of the hosts and the platform holders, right? And these people really are the gatekeepers of all of this. Well, they could be. I don't. Or, think yeah, they is, could be. I they haven't seen be. a single host step up and be like, "We are going to be the accessibility first host." I haven't seen that. I haven't seen any hosts like marketing that. Um, I've seen hosts take steps to make their own hosting dashboards more accessible, which is phenomenal. I've seen hosts, yeah. there are a lot of wonderful hosts that support WordPress Accessibility Day and some other events that are out there for accessibility education. But I have never, I have not yet seen a host say, everything we're going to do is going to be accessible and we're going to create a user experience around centered around accessibility and that is maybe a really interesting marketing play that any of you hosting companies who are listening to this podcast could take yeah. on because i think i'll play devil's advocate and it may be a a, a legal nightmare but <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean i don't think you guarantee it right but yeah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. you can't guarantee anyone's content but it's like accessibility ready tag on themes yeah. In WordPress.org. It's not saying your website will be accessible, but it is saying that we are giving you a base foundation. And a hosting company or an agency can can easily, I think, brand around accessibility ready or an accessible foundation, right? And obviously what the customer does with that, the customer does with that. But I think that there is an opportunity there and it it doesn't have to be like, it, it doesn't just have to be like the accessibility checker plugin makes my stuff look bad. It could be like we've put in some work to make our things accessible. And if you use accessibility checker on our hosting, you're going to start with zero problems. 
but you go to some other host and yeah. you're going to start with their starter and their plugins and 50 problems on every page. I don't know what it is, right? <laughs> like, like that's a really interesting way to position yeah. that. And the agencies are the same way, right? Like there are agencies out there beyond us who are caring about accessibility and doing a lot for accessibility and building accessibility into their practices. And I think it is a positioning thing and it is a way to attract customers because there are a lot of agencies who don't. And in the next couple of years, those agencies are really, really yeah. going to be left behind. Yeah, totally. This is definitely the time to uh, come into alignment with this stuff. It's not going away. Mm -hmm. So, We've obviously given a lot of evidence for why this is a good idea and why finding avenues around these internal objections, if you're one of these companies, is probably the right course of action to take um, if we're doing long-term thinking, right? And not just like short-term thinking, which if you're running a company or making major decisions for a company, you should be thinking long-term, but that's a whole different discussion. Um, some people are still going to have this fear. They're going to be afraid that uh, their reputation is going to be harmed, that they're going to have customers reject them, right? Um, if they put a tool like ours and it starts pointing out a bunch of problems. Um, and I'm wondering, like, from, from our end, as, as the people who have, the, have one of these tools that scans, that points out problems, that we're trying to get more distribution for with organizations like these. What, if anything, can we do about it in our own tool to reduce friction for these organizations? We already talked about helping with, you know, training videos and communication strategies. Like, are there, are there other things in this, I I know this question you weren't <laughs> permitted to prepare for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 off the top of my head, I mean, like we could have, uh, you know, more advanced user controls, like where the re where the reports, who has access to the reports, and uh, who has access to the you know the summaries on on post and things like that. Um, right now, we limit it. We can limit it to admin users, correct? Well, but that's just, well, no, I thought we had all of our centralized reports. You have a setting where you can choose a user role for those, yeah, but yeah. the actual reports on any given post or page edit is, screen, is those aren't restricted at all. I do think some user role on that. I know something that it's like the bane of your existence and at some point in time we will figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I do think we're going to have to get around the challenge of figuring out how to flag what areas, what problems are in the content versus Land. in the header and the sidebar yeah. and the footer. Uh, because that is a prime area where a someone with the role of contributor right. who can write blog posts they can't even publish their own blog posts right right they don't need to see problems that are in the header or the sidebar the footer they can't do anything about it it just kind of creates noise and it could be confusing for them yeah yeah um because they might not even be very technical users um or i mean it might even get up to like editor potentially because i don't even think the editor can edit 
the header, right? Only admins can. And and so I do think we're going to have to figure out how to better like identify where issues are occurring on the website or what area of the website created them and and only surfacing the ones that problems are problems that are relevant to the user role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and that's something I, I would love to do. It is a big challenge that we don't have enough time to dive into on this episode since we're pretty much at the end of this episode. And perhaps we could have a whole episode, Steve, honestly talking about uh, how we would even try to figure out how to flag this because I know we've had internal conversations that yep. might be interesting for people. And I just had a thought. Everyone, one of our next episodes is going to be with Alex Stein. Ooh. And we should ask Alex Stein. This what ideas he has for this because he might have an interesting idea about how to identify locations of problems. Yeah. Mm. So everyone, stay yeah. tuned. This will come. <laughs> yeah. The next the next conversation episode will be with Alex Stein, the uh, accessibility expert and software engineer extraordinaire. Um, so that'll be that'll be fun for y'all. I'm jealous. I I missed that one. I'm going to miss that one. Yeah. Well. Did that, do you feel like this answered the question about how to address sufficiently, how to address concerns about customers or clients thinking things are bad when they see accessibility reports? Um, I mean, it's, it's left me with probably more questions, right? And, and, and the reality is I just thought this would be a fun discussion. The people that I actually have to work through this with are, are the large agencies. They yeah. are the hosts. They are the maintenance companies who have these concerns. Uh, and it's my job as the salesperson to be their partner in brainstorming and figuring out a solution where we can collaborate with them to figure this out, right? And help them help their customers be more accessible. Um, hopefully while using accessibility checker in some way. I mean, that's obviously my goal. Um, but it's, it's been a good discussion. And I think that I have interesting ideas about you know, ways that that hosts could really take an opportunity to change the paradigm of how people get into the WordPress ecosystem, what that method is, and what the metrics are for for using their tools and their services, right? In terms of like which plugins they pick, which themes they pick for their spin up tools, because all the hosts are doing what Amber saw on GoDaddy now. They're all doing it um, with these like one click spin ups. So uh, those are my closing thoughts. I don't know if anyone has anything else. <laughs> I think I think the only thing I would add is that, you know, when this journey for us began with developing a, an, an accessibility checker tool, right? I thought, you know, naively, maybe I had the idea that you build it and they will come, right? And... Um, but I, I think as as we continue on this journey, I think uh, this the issues like these highlight that awareness and education are are probably uh, you know bigger hurdles to overcome than evaluating the accessibility issues in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great thought to end with. Thank you, Steve, for that nugget, um, and uh, thank you, Wild Bills, for your pumpkin spice today ish and we'll see y'all next time all right see you guys pumpkin Bye. Spice. <laughs> Bye. thanks for listening to accessibility craft if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe in your podcast app to get notified when future episodes release 
You can find Accessibility Craft on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And if building accessibility awareness is important to you, please consider rating Accessibility Craft five stars on Apple Podcasts. Accessibility Craft is produced by Equalize Digital and hosted by Amber Hines, Chris Hines, and Steve Jones. Steve Jones composed our theme music. Learn how we help make thousands of WordPress websites more accessible at equalizedigital.com.